Hot 4 podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Crisp Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plant, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. There's probably no appropriate intro. This was tweeted to me by Martin from Beer O'Clock Show after airing Authenting is probably a closer description. My feelings towards the responses from, you guessed it, mostly, if not exclusively, white men to a BBC article with the leading headline, Craft Beer Industry Accused of Being Sexist Boys Club. The sources of the article and target of abuse were Siobhan Buchanan, a beer writer based in Edinburgh, and head brewer of South London's coalition brewery, Charlotte Cook, both of whom are the guests on this week's episode of the Hot 4 podcast. To rewind a little, every time I've tried to queue up this episode, words have failed me. I've tried three times so far, this will be the fourth. But with every tweet, every overheard conversation, every news article or Instagram story shared about how, yet again, a woman has been taken advantage of at a beer festival, mansplained during a brewery tour, or has been subject to toxic power dynamics, I just felt like I needed to start all over again. But as Martin said, there probably is no appropriate intro. Although the vast majority of our listenership comes from within the brewing industry, and it'll come as no surprise that this issue is front and centre for many conversations you're probably having at the moment, not all our listeners work in the industry in some capacity and might be wondering what all these whispers and rumours of war are about. As brief as I can to put it in context, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story, it began with Brienne Allen, a brewer at Notch Brewing in Salem, Massachusetts. While going about her business in the brew house, some contractors working at the site patronised for the way she, well, went about her job as a brewer, simply for being a woman. In frustration, Brienne took to Instagram to ask her followers, of which at the time she had several thousand, had been treated in a similar fashion. Before she knew it, her inbox exploded with people who shared their Me Too experiences, some of which cast serious allegations against individuals and breweries, bringing about a reckoning in American craft beer. It's important to note now that 
Brienne as a direct result has amassed over 63,000 followers. And you can follow her too at Rat Magnet on Instagram if you want to read those stories for yourself. It was only a matter of time before similar stories would be shared elsewhere in the world. This is where one of our guests, Siobhan Buchanan, comes in, also known by her social media handle as British Beer Girl. Much in the same way, Siobhan used her social media platforms to allow women on this side of the Atlantic to share their stories. More women, such as Charlotte Cook and beer writer Melissa Cole, appeared publicly on BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour to talk about their experiences over the years. The response was pretty instantaneous. Breweries, businesses and individuals either went on the defence, remained silent or issued public statements on how they would address the issue. One business in particular that didn't escape unscathed was the monolith that is Brewdog as a group of former employees under the banner Punks With Purpose wrote an open letter to the company's co-founder and spokesperson James Watt calling for the brewery to explain why so many allegations had come to light and Punks With Purpose made their personal experiences clear, each one signing their name to the document for all to see. This particular story highlighted other issues that plague the modern craft beer industry. Toxic cultures, unhealthy workplaces, gaslighting, narcissistic leadership, and micro-celebrity business owners with cult status and an air of rock stardom, all of which have been exposed, like finding a cask at the back of a cold store that popped its shive without you noticing several weeks back, and finding the foul stench and the slurmy bacterial ming growing on the floor. You know what I mean. Don't say that you've never had that cask before in your brewery. There's a lot to say on this topic, but we can hopefully continue to bring to light that which has been in darkness and as a result see real lasting and positive change in the industry that I and others love so much. I want to be clear from the offset, I'm not here to judge individuals, I'm not here to name and shame businesses and I'm certainly not here to accuse anyone of anything. That's not my place because it's not my story. I haven't been privy to the ins and outs of the allegations made. And it wouldn't be right for me to comment and discuss the particulars of those. However, I felt like the least I could do was to have a nuanced, in-depth discussion about the issues with people who have lived through them and experienced that sexism and toxicity firsthand. Before we crack open today's conversation, I want to publicly acknowledge my friend Linda Birch from Brewery Market, who put me in touch with Charlotte and Siobhan and enabled this discussion to go ahead. So just a massive big thanks to you, Linda, for sorting that out. It doesn't quite feel right for me to crack a joke and go into all the necessary blurb this week. So I'm going to say that if you do like Hot Forward, please subscribe to the show. Please leave a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you leave a review, it does help more people discover the Hot Forward podcast. And you can follow us on the socials at Hot Forward Beers. However, I will play the sponsorship as a segue into the conversation with Siobhan and Charlotte, as this podcast has been made possible for over two years with the generous help of our supplier sponsors. Just a note as well to say that next week's episode with Danny McColl from McColl's Brewery will be the last episode before we have a little break over the summer, after which we'll launch into season three with a great discussion about canning with Wild Goose, not one to miss. 
But as you'll hear in next week's show on mental health in the brewing industry, it's really important to take good care of your mental health and well-being if you want to last the course. And to be honest, I certainly want to last the course. It's been a tough year and a half for everyone. And I certainly know that I need a bit of a break and just to go offline for a little bit and just to unplug from the matrix. Don't worry, the podcast will be back in September ready for a new season. So stay tuned for that episode. Stay tuned for the Hot 4 podcast and stay tuned for this one featuring Siobhan Buchanan, aka British Beer Girl and head brewer of Coalition Brewery, Charlotte Cook. The Hot 4 podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plant, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Ball Podcast, I'm joined by freelance writer and editor uh, Siobhan Buchanan, aka British Beer Girl, and Charlotte Cook, who is the head brewer of Coalition Brewery in South London. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having us on. It's all right. Thank you for being on the show. So uh, how are you both? I know you've not been very well either of you, so. (laughs) I'm slowly recovering from my kidney infection, um, but otherwise very well. Yeah, I'm, I'm good too. Yeah, had uh, had a bit of a migraine the other day, but uh, all good now. Just been busy, busy, busy. <laughs> Back working in a pub, which is fun. <laughs> yeah. Do you do that alongside your writing and stuff as well? Or? Yeah, it's just a couple of nights a week just to kind of get me out of the house and yeah. get a bit of pocket money. <laughs> awesome. Which, uh, which pub do you work in? It's uh, Monty's in the Haymarket area of Edinburgh. It's a right. really nice, uh, cosy real ale and whiskey bar. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> I've, um, I've been to the Hanging Bat. Oh, um, yes, I was there last night. It's oh, such a good spot. <laughs> I love the hanging bat. Yeah. What, a, what a great bar. Well, well uh, before we get stuck into today's conversation about sexism and toxic work cultures and the, the reckoning in craft beer, for want of a better word, can you give our listeners a bit of a heads up as to who you both are and what you do and how long you've worked in the beer industry for? So I'll let you guys tussle between yourselves as to who goes first. You can go first, Charlotte. <laughs> Okay, so um, I've been working in beer for about 10 years now, um, always in brewing. Uh, Started off at Brewdog. Um, Most recently, I was just at Cloudwater. So I've been at kind of quite a lot of the um, quite well-regarded breweries, as well as uh, Pochala in Estonia for a while too. Um, And now I'm at Coalition in South London, making really interesting new beers. So that's a good one. Cool. How long has Coalition been around for? been going since 2015 but they're only getting the kit now right so been uh, contract brewing so that's what 
currently doing is getting everything ready to get a brand new brew kit and get brewing in Balham. Nice. So that's good fun. Cool. <laughs> and what about you, Siobhan? Uh, so I've been working in the beer industry for about three years now, um, three and a half years. Uh, so yeah, I used to just work in NHS comms and uh, my job was great, but I wasn't feeling very fulfilled and I'd always kind of fancied getting properly into writing and editing. So um, I took some time off and then ended up quitting my, quitting my job and um, getting getting into the industry through through that. So I've worked um, with uh, a couple of breweries and festivals and things like that. But the main uh, bulk of my work is uh, writing about beer and travel and also beer and travel. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. city guides based around beer. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's great fun. I love it so much. Um, I can't believe I get, I get paid to talk about beer and nerd out with people on a regular basis. It's excellent. <laughs> Well, on the podcast today, I want to talk about um, sexism in the industry. And I guess off the back of that, a lot of stuff that's come out about bullying and toxic work cultures and racism, just a whole junk drawer of, I can't even find the words for it, when it, when it particularly when it all kind of came to light and stuff um, over social media. I just wonder if, if both of you'd be willing to share, uh, to start off with any, any stories of your own that feel sort of epitomise the problems that have been lurking under the surface within the beer scene, but are now being exposed more than they ever have done before. So for, for me, um, I started sharing all of the stories on my personal Instagram after seeing what Brienne was doing over in the States. And I had my own stories that I felt fit in and I knew that people I had worked with or friends in the industry also had their own stories of sexual harassment, sexism, discrimination based on gender and all of that kind of thing. So um, I, I just started to post, post up a couple of my, um, my stories and see if anyone else wanted to, to follow suit. And they did. Um, like my most impactful thing that happened to me that made me realize that there is just an, an issue in, in the industry was when I was working for a brewery and we'd just done a um like an event at the brewery it was cheese and beer pairing and um I was chatting to some people after the fact while I was tidying up blah blah, blah. and there was this older gentleman who came over and um was saying how much of a great time he'd had how much he'd learned etc and he just kept touching my lower back like just rubbing it like going in like circular motion mm. and I was trying to like inch away and like just try and like turn myself so that I was talking to like him and other people and just every time he just inch closer to me and just keep rubbing my back and I was like this is so weird and, and not not only because I have my own issues with personal space but also like it's I don't know this man who's old enough to be like my dad um and why why is he why does he feel like it's okay to touch me um and then, so I kind of just scuttled off eventually, um, like made my excuses and left. And then I went and told um, my female colleague um, and I was like, guess what just happened to me? Oh my God, this guy was being such a creep. He was like really invading my personal space. And her response was, oh, you know, it's probably just being nice. Like, don't, don't take anything from it. it. Like, it's not a big deal. And I thought, what? Like, um, so that kind of ingrained in me that, not only is it 
widely accepted that it's okay to behave this way to women, especially women in the service industry, but that there's a lot of internalized misogyny as well, mm. because like her attitude was just like, I was making a big deal out of, out of this and that it was totally okay. And that's just how men behave. And in actual facts, like, like I, I think I was more shocked by her response than I was by the actual interaction with this man. Yeah. And what about you, Charlotte, um, with Brienne and, and how um, it all started on her Instagram about, uh, was it a maintenance team or something to come in to fix something? And they said to her. I think it was uh, installing installing the new brew kit. Yeah. I so, I mean, how, how have you sort of found, um, just from your experiences, uh, being a woman in craft beer? And- um, all the time, things like that. like. Um, had people take things physically from my hands because they say that's not a woman's job to be carrying that and things like that. Well, no way. Um, you constant, I mean, I did, I did a tasting on Thursday night and at the end of the tasting, it's kind of like, oh, any questions? And obviously always the first question is, oh, well, like you don't look anything like how I imagine a brewer to be. Um, for everyone listening, I'm really short. I've got long blonde hair. I look like a bit of a princess, not like a standard brewer stereotype. And it is, it's just kind of, I could have, I stood and talked to these people for 45 minutes, went into a lot of detail. And it's still the thing that's first comes to their mind is that kind of like, you don't look like the stereotype of what I think that you should look like despite the fact I've shared my knowledge with them for all this time, that still was the first thing that mm. came to mind when I asked if they had any questions, not a, where did you get all of this education or what would you like to do next? It's kind of like, why don't you look how I expect you to? Yeah. Um, and you get it constantly. Um, it's yeah. It, it's just, always always happens people have said that they were hesitant to hire me in case I couldn't lift casks and things like that and it's just kind of like reducing you to your biggest failings before you're even getting a chance to show what you can do yeah that sucks I mean does it feel draining for you like just constantly like like there's a kind of constant the only way I could put it is like a white noise if I I suffer with tinnitus so I've constantly got this like ringing in my ears is it kind of like that um all the time yes it is it's really 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 tiring and frustrating it wears you down as well and it makes you feel like oh is it even worth trying to fight this if everything that I'm doing just leads to things not getting better but it's also not up to me to make things change it's up to the people who are doing the sexist actions to change and to change their thought processes and to change what it is that they do. All I can do is highlight what's happened to me, help amplify the voices of other people and try and make people realize that, yes, this is actually a really big problem and it's really prevalent. I was on the radio on Sunday talking about it. I got loads of messages on Twitter being, oh, this is a waste of my BBC license payer money for these women to be complaining. Apparently on women's whinging hour. Um, I think I also got told that I would never be equal um, and I was just wasting time. Saw that. That one was awful. Oh, my word. That's horrendous. Yeah. If you're told by, you know, these 
they are largely older white men that you will never be equal to them, then it's just kind of like, how, how do you keep fighting that? Yeah. Yeah, like from from my from my side of things, like sharing all these stories and trying to amplify the voices in in my specific way, um, it's been really difficult as well for a lot of the same reasons. Like it's older white men on like beer forums and beer groups being like, oh well, how can you verify these accounts? Uh, people just lie, um, and like uh, there were people saying that I was just doing it for attention. And that, um, how can you boycott all of these breweries when it's some like? How do we know it's not just an isolated in- isolated incident? And um, yeah, basically, I can't verify the accounts, therefore they must not be true. And um, all these things, and they're getting so much negativity. It's really difficult to keep going and keep that strength and momentum going when mm. at every post you're being knocked back with negativity, um, and like both of us are just trying to do good and trying to raise awareness of these like systemic issues and we're just being being negated (laughs) and um it it is very exhausting um but I think like the thing that keeps me going is that hopefully change will happen and I've already had messages from loads of people in the industry brewers bars um, people who are the heads of breweries, etc., saying that the the work that's come out of what I've done has made a difference, and they're now looking at how to safeguard people, like their employees, their customers, in their place of work. And even if it was just two people who had said that, it would have been worth it to me. Yeah. Um, and like as as you were saying, Charlotte, as well, like it sucks that the onus is on us to change other people's behaviors. But at the end of the day, like if we don't shout about it and make noise and make people listen and realize that these kind of behaviors aren't acceptable and not only should people not be doing them, but people should actively be calling out those behaviors when they see them. Because if like, as a bystander, you're also partially responsible for allowing mm. these things to happen. I think uh, that's just my personal belief, but I mean, I, I, I feel really unqualified to ask these questions, you know, as a white man, um, you know, it's, but it's, it, it rocks me to see it, to be honest, when it, when it was all coming out, particularly, you know, it felt like it was a really, really intense few weeks on, on Twitter and Instagram, um, you know, in, in this industry that I really love, um, you know, it really rocks me and I've, I've got two daughters and you know, I was seeing all this online thinking, would I really want them to work in an industry like that? It's like that. But I, I know it's, these issues aren't just exclusive to the beer industry by any, any stretch. Um, I, I just wanted to as well, if you could share the impact um, that giving voice to all this has had on you personally, because I know that you've been threatened with lawsuits. We're not going to name names of anyone or anything. No. <laughs> Definitely won't make, make anything worse for you, but. Um, I mean, what, for you personally, what's what's that been like? Um, being threatened with legal action and stuff. Um, the first few weeks were really quite tough, and um, so I didn't expect quite so many messages. I thought I'd get a handful. Like I said, I, I knew that people I know had stories and that they'd want to share them, etc. Um, but like for the first couple of weeks, the stories just kept coming, and I was basically 
sharing all of that full, full time almost. Um, and it was very draining, um, very emotionally draining. And I had to take a couple of days off for my own mental health because it's tough reading all of these stories. Mm. And um, yeah, and some of them were really horrible, um, like terrible things that had happened to to mostly mostly women. Um, and uh, yeah, and some people just getting in touch because they finally had someone to talk to as well. Like they didn't want me to share their story publicly, but they felt like they could come to me and talk or get advice or whatever. And I'm more than happy to do that, but it, it did take its toll on my mental health. Um, and then, so after the first couple of weeks, um, I just decided that I was going to just dip in and out and not let the giant number of unread Instagram requests get get to me and just do it slowly like just do a couple every now and again mm. and um make sure to take plenty of time out and look after myself um and stuff and then the lawsuits started coming in <laughs> and um that was not fun uh, some of them were quite surprising because they wanted to sue me for libel and I'm like you know I can prove this right there's surely there's some way I can prove it like um and so I set up a crowdfunder um because I there, there was one luckily it's all died down now but there was uh one case where it did look like I was going to be taken to court and I was like well I'm gonna fight it of course and um a few people had suggested that I start up a crowdfunder and collect money in case I did need it for legal fees and I was like oh I'm not going to do that until I absolutely have to and then it just it blew up like overnight and people were so generous and I every time I checked and I was get, I would get notifications through on my email of like the total was going up and up and up and every time I looked at it I would just burst into tears because it was just it's um I think like I was saying before like it's it's validating to know that what I'm doing is making a difference, but also that people care and people, other people value what I'm doing and mm. they think it's worthwhile. So they're giving me their hard earned money to, to continue to, to be able to fight for this. And it's just, it was really humbling and very emotional. Um, yeah. Evidently it's a very difficult topic to cover this. And I, I'm just aware as we're talking, it might act as a trigger point for, some of our listeners and I'd be interested from both of you like what are some of the long-term impacts on your mental health and well-being when you're subjected to sexism or a toxic work culture um or whatever it is you know whether it's at work or events or, or festivals how, how does that affect you I think for, for me certainly it's just it's gotten to the point where it's happened consistently over the years and now um, I inadvertently like and subconsciously just police myself, police my actions, police what I'm wearing, um, especially in, in the workplace. Um, so um, like, and I think it's, it's the same for a lot of women. We take active measures to make ourselves less harassable, which is just dreadful. Like we shouldn't have to do that. Um, I don't know about you, Charlotte. Like, I think that, that for me, that's the main one. Yeah. I just find the kind of the long-term effects and because I've been doing it for so long and I've had it for so long I think that until I started working at Cloudwater I hadn't really had a very supportive work environment uh, where I work now is really supportive 
But it wasn't until I got to Cloudwater and realized it's like, oh, wow, this is what it can be like, was quite remarkable. Um, I mean, I worked for a very, very toxic man and I ended up just quitting that job and getting signed off for the rest of my notice period because I couldn't face to go in just for the sake of my mental health. I, I was absolutely and utterly just at the bottom of the barrel, like, um, and that kind of took a long time to recover from. Like it took a long time for my personality to come back to what it had been. I just mm. was so just driven down by his behavior and by how stuck I felt and how awful I felt that my life was and how I felt like I was giving all this effort for something that I didn't believe in and for somebody that I didn't want to work for. Yeah, that took a long time to recover from. I'm only really starting to feel better from that now. But it is, it's just, so the the effects are really long-term and, you know, gaslighting and things in workplaces as well. It just makes you question your own abilities, your own sanity, your own memory. And it, that, doesn't that's not easy to recover from especially if you don't necessarily have anywhere to go to find help or anyone to speak to because you know working especially in the hospitality and brewing industry working hours are long quite often antisocial and yeah if, if you've got an issue quite often don't have anyone that you can speak to or anywhere that you feel that you can go and get help or counseling or support yeah yeah when i worked for um as a brand ambassador for a brewery and part of my job was to go around pubs and promote the beer and give free samples run tastings this kind of thing and um I'd get like comments from men like hands on waists uh marriage proposals and stuff like that all the time like in a, in a just generally inappropriate behavior and um it got it started to get to me but like the the gist of it when I spoke to my boss was like that's just what it's like you know um like the I can't be there to safeguard you if something happens you can tell the the manager of the pub or, or whatever and like they can deal with it but it 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 was and and I I completely understand that like my boss can't protect me from the general public um especially when he he's not even on the same site as me mm. but and it's just kind of expected that that's just it, it's part and parcel of working in in bars uh, in in whatever capacity. Like men will be men, boys will be boys, and some men are lechy, and you just have to deal with it. And um, it's it's really difficult. Like it got to the point where I didn't want to go to work anymore because I was just I, I would expect bad behaviour and. Like I said before, like I, I was policing my clothing because I'm I'm quite tall and curvy, and I'm like, well, I'm gonna not I'm not gonna wear flattering clothes to this particular pub because at this particular pub, the the men are slightly worse <laughs> than than are the other ones. So I'm just gonna wear like a sack of potatoes, uh, um, or, or whatever, and like just taking active steps to to make myself less harassable and, and and protect myself from that kind of behavior but it, it it never helps like I've been catcalled when I have been wearing a massive parka and 
the a t-shirt I wanted to sleep in and like just jeans on, on the street like going I remember one one time I was going to pick up my prescription for my mental health medication and I was just walking along and I was, I was wearing this big baggy coat and it still it, you can do you you can do all these different things to try and protect yourself but at the end of the day like some men don't care um and it's really unfortunate and um it does take its toll because you don't feel safe anywhere. Mm. Like I, I know so many women who don't who don't feel safe going to places on their own. Um, I don't feel safe walking home after dark. Like all of my friends who are women, when we part ways after a night out or whatever, I'm like text me when you get home. And if they don't text me, I assume something bad happened, <laughs> and not not just because of like because I have OCD or whatever, like w- which I do. Um, but because it is a genuine worry, like things have happened to close friends of mine, things have happened to me and, and it it is just a a constant worry. And it's, it's horrible having to go about life feeling, feeling like that. But then also there's the element of like, am I being too sensitive? Is like, this is just what men are like. And I know that they're not like, they, they don't mean it maliciously or whatever necessarily a lot of the time. So is it just me being too sensitive? And I, I don't think it's you being too sensitive. Uh, I mean, it's interesting what you both said. Like, you know, I've had similar conversations with my wife, you know, about walking home with the keys in your hand and stuff, just in case someone attacks you. And I do a lot of running and, um, you know, I'll go at all kinds of crazy times. But she says to me, you know, I, I would never, ever, ever go after like 7 p.m. because, mm. you know, someone could just sort of attack me. It's, you know, it's all well and good for you as a, as a again, as a man out in, I live in Sheffield, so, you know, the peak, Districts is literally on my doorstep out into the peaks, you know, and not think anything of it, you know, whereas it's, I mean, I, I just find it tragic. Like it, I honestly sat here, just listening to you both. It just, it, it proper grieves me. And again, like I said, with having daughters and stuff as well, you know, it's, I can't help, but that kind of feels like it amplifies it more because it's like all of a sudden I'm, I'm in sort of like protector mode, trying to protect my kids and stuff. And just to think that, men carry off like that and um i mean i was i was going to ask i mean I, I'm, I'm sure you know it's, it comes down to people's personality at the end of the day and, and their behavior i should say rather than personality but how much influence do you think alcohol has and pours fuel onto that fire particularly at bars and events i think that it definitely makes things a lot worse i think that it amplifies people's behavior. So if they're going to do that when they're drunk, then there's something in them already that would do that when they're sober. But alcohol just makes it so much worse. It lowers inhibitions and it just makes people feel that bit invincible and empowered as well. Um, It's just like, again, it was after the tasting the other day, sat down, I was chatting to a woman who had attended the tasting. Somebody sat down on the sofa at the end of the table and pretended that he was staff and chatted to him for about a minute or so. And then he just started talking about his penis and saying how he was going to show it to me and all that sort of stuff. And there was nobody about to help. (laughs) So the only thing that I could do was shout and tell him to fuck off (laughs) and like make a scene in order to get attention so that he could then be like taken out. And I had to ask them to like call me a taxi and then walk me to the taxi because I didn't want to go and get a bus or be waiting outside for a cab to come past in case he was there waiting for me. Oh my word. You know? 
So, and this was at a really nice members club in Chelsea. So it can happen there. It can happen anywhere. Wow. Um, and it's just that there's such a, a level of entitlement with a lot of men that I think uh, you're right, Charlotte, like booze just amplifies that. So they, that there's, there's an entitlement and a lack of respect that is at like probably base level. And then you add alcohol on top of that and like a fun night and you, you feel, you feel invincible and, and it just, yeah, you lose your inhibitions and you, you feel like it's acceptable to behave in certain ways because, Oh, I'm just, I'm just drunk and I'm just being fun and whatever, but it's not, it's not how everyone sees it. Mm. Just for anyone listening to this, if, if they're a female member of staff and like, like you, Charlotte, you just find yourself in a, a situation like that or, or, you know, um, as you said earlier about working, you know, with somebody really toxic and abusive, you know, whether it's verbal, emotional, physical, like where, where should you turn to? What should you do? What can you do? I think that if you see somebody who seems like they're in a dangerous situation, then you should intervene. I think uh, it's like, you know, like witnessing racism on the bus if you see somebody being racist on the bus and yes you should also intervene then mm. when it's safe to do so and yeah you should just go over there because I think that again it's that level of entitlement and especially if they think that there's a power dynamic there then yeah. if somebody can go in and disrupt that power dynamic or somebody can go in there and kind of like challenge that entitlement then that might make them kind of you know slink off mm. I was I was having this conversation on uh, an online panel event recently um like what what can you do if, if you're witnessing this or if um like if if you're being put in that situation um I think there's various different um ways to tackle it so if you're experiencing it directly, there's the Ask for Angela scheme, which is in a lot of bars and pubs across yep. the country where um, you can go up to the bar or ask any of the bar staff, like ask for Angela, like, oh, is Angela working? And they'll know that you're in trouble and they'll either take you to the staff room or put you in a taxi and make sure you're okay. And then um, one of the things that I, I mentioned in this panel event was um, something I've done a couple of times, which I found really effective, is um, if I've seen someone who looks like, like a woman who looks like she's in an uncomfortable situation and like, the guy's being a bit weird and, and I'm just not sure. Firstly, it's always better to make a scene, even if nothing is wrong and you're just, you've completely misinterpreted. It's always better to ask and feel ridiculous for having made a scene than to not do anything. But mm. what I often do is I go up and I pretend that I know the girl. Um, so I'm like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in ages. How are you doing? Oh, how's your cat or whatever. And I just start making conversation and then I can kind of like, so obviously she knows that I don't know her and I can gauge what the situation is and if she's okay. Um, like, oh, do you want to come out? Like, for a cigarette or come to the bar with me we'll get some drinks or something and then then you can gauge you can gauge the situation quite well from that yeah um and uh I, I think I've done this twice one time um uh she was like oh no no yeah yeah I'm, I'm fine great to see you goodbye 
and then like the other time like we just kind of went outside and um like just got some air and just oh my god thank you so much like this guy was being really weird it was in a it was at a club um and I think it was she was just being hit on by some drunk guy and um and it, like it it was it was fine like I didn't feel weird for causing a scene and I think I don't think anyone should be made to feel awkward for trying to intervene in what could potentially be a dangerous situation um but in terms of like uh in the workplace I think there's quite a few really good charities well firstly join a union <laughs> um because you can join a union even if you're in hospitality um that's a common misconception that you can't um there's a lot of people who believe that um places won't like bars and venues and stuff won't hire them if they're in a union which is really unfortunate but a lot of people do have that negative viewpoint but you you're protected a bit mm-hmm. more because uh, a lot of these kind of places like bars and breweries they're such small teams that there's not really an hr and if something happens yep. to you there's really anywhere to go um but there's also charities like uh, the drinks trust and hospitality action who can provide advice they've got um like 24-hour phone lines they've got resources online uh for what to do either as an employer to safeguard your staff and customers or if there's something going on with you um you can get advice and and kind of have a buddy like someone to talk to um i mean what why do you both think this is all coming out now in craft beer in particular i think that it's been sort of bubbling for a long time but there's just never been an outlet for it, especially not an outlet that's easily accessible by everybody who wants to either submit information or to read about what's happening. Um, So I think that social media has kind of been able to be like a conduit for it, which has Mm. been really useful. And I think also people are now much less scared than they used to be on the whole. And I think that that's also a really good thing that you know, even five years ago, I would have been too scared to talk about it. And I would have felt that my job was at risk or my reputation was at risk. And now I'm not. And I think that quite a lot of people feel like that as well. They've had enough and they actually want to use their voice to do some good. Yep. I mean, I think that's the power of social media, um, you know, in, in a good way in, um, in that it's easy to call people to account publicly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how you go about that um, in a way that produces good fruit, you know, is is a, a, a whole other conversation. Unfortunately, it, it can feel a little bit on social media that um, you know there's like a, 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 a social media storm and everyone sort of piles in and all the rest of it, and you know, um, but then unfortunately, it gets quickly forgotten for most people you know usually the social media spectators or casual commentators but for for people you know like yourselves that have had these negative experiences you know it can and does leave a quite a lasting emotional scar when that kind of shit happens to you and you'll have to deal with it and pick up the pieces for years to come like how do we ensure that as an industry we we tackle these issues in a way that actually brings about real and lasting change and and what do you think consumers can do to really help facilitate that because it, for us in our echo chamber it's easy for us to raise the issues against certain large independent ish breweries in the UK about their cultures but a lot of consumers will have no idea that's going down 
Um, I think uh, for, for me, certainly part of what I wanted to achieve by sharing all the stories on social media was to get the word out more widely. So I thought I would be a good person to be a conduit for this because I'm not affiliated with any particular brewery. Yep. Um, I'm like relatively okay known in the industry, especially locally. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm completely unbiased. And I think that obviously that worked because people felt confident enough sharing their stories with me. And then once it snowballs and there's strength in numbers as well, and like, oh, everyone else is saying it. And then um, more and more people were willing to name the the places where these things had happened to them and mm-hmm. calling them out, I think, has brought about a whole different kind of element of it where now those breweries, bars, whatever, that um, pub chains that have been involved in these incidents are now expected to reply. And well, a lot of them haven't, which is a bit disappointing, but some of them have, and they've made changes. And one brewery in particular, um, the the co-founder messaged me directly saying, I was so, so upset and hurt to see my brewery mentioned in your stories I'm doing this 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 that and the other to to make sure that this doesn't happen again and um like honestly thank you so much for bringing light to this blah blah blah. and like that that's incredible um and I hope eventually other places follow suit but like as you said yeah when when it's in our own craft beer bubble we all know that there's issues um which is why I've been really happy that for example, things like the Punks with Purpose um, letter came out and um, with calls to action and it's helped spread that much more widely. So there's mm. been loads of media coverage about all of the, the issues highlighted there. And um, I've had uh, many phone calls with journalists who wanted to write articles about the situation in the industry what can be done and that's that's what I wanted I wanted to bring it to light outside of the craft beer bubble and because a lot of the issues are um it's it's customers who are involved in these incidents mm. and who are more often than not the harassers and within the craft beer bubble like hopefully we're, we're all generally a nice bunch of people but when you go to the pub and it's it's the customer and they're not they're not in the craft beer bubble necessarily so they're not going to know about these issues so it, it's them that we need to reach just as much as as the the people within the industry um and so getting getting coverage on national news websites um being on on radio 2 charlotte was on radio 4 and and all of this it's 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 incredible and it hasn't really it's slowed down a lot but i'm still getting requests from people there's still articles to come and there's still discussions being had um and yeah Charlotte and I have both been speaking with um people who've uh, been working on taking action over in the states and to try and kind of um bring some of their ideas here because obviously that started before like the movement there started before it started here and it's a much bigger place with a lot more resources and mm. Um, hopefully soon I'm going to be brewing uh, a beer with proceeds going to a domestic violence charity um, and things. So I'm trying to space things out so that 
it doesn't completely stop after all of the stories are done being yeah. shared. I'm still getting like dribs and drabs of stories. Um, but I don't want the momentum to completely die because then it just would just stop and then it all starts to happen again because everyone forgets about it. Yeah, I mean, it's such a huge issue and it's such a long-standing issue. It goes back probably till the dawn of time, you know. Um, so, I mean, what, what action do you think breweries and beer festivals and bars should be taking to rectify the issues when they're brought to light? And, and I guess on the flip side of that, you know, um, a brewery taking positive steps um, to dealing with it. I, I'd be curious to know what are some of the strategies you've seen breweries and other businesses take to deflect the issue, you know, versus the ones that are actually taking meaningful action? I think that independent third-party investigations need to take place. So that's happened quite a lot in the States. I haven't really seen it too much here. Um, so there was a story about Cicerone that came out in Brienne's stories, and they undertook a very comprehensive third-party investigation, and the person ended up uh, resigning from their position. And they published all of the findings too, Whereas here, things are kind of done a little bit behind the curtain. So it's kind of like, yeah, we're doing this. I've got a third party, but nobody's actually being transparent. Everybody's being very shifty. People aren't just doing what it is that they're supposed to do. And presumably that's because they know that there's things that are going to come out of the woodwork that are going to be bad for them. And you know what? If they've done it, then they just need to fucking suck it up. And accept that they've done it, deal with the consequences because it's going to come out somehow or other. Mm. And to pretend that it's not happening, to pawn people off with, uh, you know, saying that they're dealing with it, it's not good enough. And they know that it's not good enough, but people aren't giving them a hard enough time to sort it out. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right, Charlotte. I think one of the things that I can't remember who said it, but um that really stuck with me uh, towards the beginning is yeah you're saying that you're going to do all these things but show me your receipts like are you working with this charity to try and like change things up in your workplace show, show me show me those actions that you've taken not don't just tell me that you're doing it what's actually happened show me conversations like how are we supposed to just innately believe you because people don't innately believe me and the people who have been sharing the stories because but for whatever reason, whether it's like, oh, you can't prove it or, oh, she's on a witch hunt and, and whatever. Like, if, if, if you're going to take steps, show us the steps and allow us to have that confidence back in you. Like, I'm not doing this to take people down and ruin businesses. I've mm. lost friendships. I've lost job opportunities because of this. I'm doing it because it's important. And like, so by... By, by, I, yeah, like I'm, I want to see you make meaningful change, and I'm not, I'm not just doing it to shout about how awful everybody is, and then the end. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask the question, like, you know, how, how can you tell whether someone's being sincere in their apology and their public statements to actually remedy the issue, and whether, you know, we, we might be in danger of writing people or breweries off indefinitely without hearing their side of the story. But I think it, it comes back to, it, I can't, and again, I can't remember who said in this conversation, but. Um, one of you said something earlier and it made me think about putting your money where your mouth is, which is pretty much what you just said, yeah. Javon, you know, um, you know, you, you tell someone by their actions rather than what, what they say and, and everything. I, I do wonder though, how, how, how much 
should a, a business or a brand bear the brunt of the actions of a individual within a company? So let, let's say it's not the company owner, for example. Um, and this, I know it gets difficult because a lot of the, how the culture and the tone of the company is set is usually by the company owner. But let, let's say there are individuals within a company that are behaving, you know, whether it's sexual misconduct or bullying or, or whatever it is, you know, how much should the business, the brand bear the brunt of that? I think that it depends on how they deal with it. Right. So if, if it's swept under the carpet and they're kind of like, oh, well, you know, very naughty, but you won't do it again. And then that person doesn't, doesn't face any consequences. Then I think that that's probably not doing enough. I'm not saying that everyone who's, who's done something wrong should immediately be fired. That's not the response at all. But I think that they have to be seen to be proactively working to prevent it from happening again. So if that's give, sending somebody on training, uh, giving them kind of like, you know, diversity information, giving people the resources uh, to stand up for themselves and to have a robust reporting procedure, then that is going to be like really helpful, but they also have to show and be committed to it. It can't just be lip service. Yep. It can't just be like, oh, we're going to do this. And again, like, you know, Siobhan said, they have to show the receipts. They have to show in a year's time that they're still doing it, that they didn't just do it to placate people, that it's actually a real meaningful cultural change that they're committed to. And so far, not many have really stood up to the mark. That's really sad to hear. Just as we tie up, and I just an absolute massive thank you for being on the podcast. And I, I appreciate it's late and stuff. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm knackered and I'm sure you guys are pretty tired as well. Uh, so I, I just, I really genuinely appreciate it given that you've both been ill as well. Um, and, it, you know, it's a, it's a hard topic to, well, I mean, I found it hard listening to. I can't even begin to imagine what it's like living through all that stuff. So I just want to say a genuine massive thank you for the bottom of my heart for for sharing all that stuff with me, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to end on a, a bit more of a positive note. Um, so it, it, what's for each of you out of all this, like what's the, the one best thing, maybe a story or, or an interaction you've had or something else like the one best thing that's come out of all this for you. And what, what's your hope for the future? What would be like the total win situation? So I think for me, the most positive thing has been an increase in people wanting to unionise and to join unions, uh, giving themselves a voice and collectively working with their colleagues, both within and outside of the company, to effect meaningful change, to hold people to account and to feel empowered that they're able to do that. So I think that if that momentum continues, uh, people continue to be engaged, people feel that they can stand up for themselves and also just to know that they've got somebody behind their back. I think that's a really positive, good thing to come out of it. Cool. So I'm hopeful um, about that. I was going to say something similar. Um, the uh, So I'll have to think of a different answer. Because um, it, honestly, it has been so heartwarming seeing people... Um, standing up for themselves, joining a union, feeling like I don't have to take this and I'm going to go and do something about it. Or, or like, like, uh, like with the strength in numbers, feeling empowered to share their stories as well. Cause it, it is, 
it is so powerful to to share your trauma like mm. that with the world and it's brave and it's it's lovely uh, that people have felt like they can trust me with that I think um and I've I've made I've made some new friendships with with people um through through all of this I guess that that's probably my positive um I think the the kind of sense of camaraderie and um and like like we're all in this together and it's it's now like gotten to the point where people people need to listen and people feel like they're being listened to which which is great bill well thanks for being on the show how how can people connect with you maybe over social media whatever they want to ask you more or share Um, the story whatever probably best to get me on twitter i'm at i like otters (laughs) oh if anyone wants to chat to me about you know otters then that's fine (laughs) that's a whole other podcast episode in of itself (laughs) um i'm on twitter and instagram at british beer girl and i'm always up for a chat um even if it's just nerding out about beer um a lot of people have been asking me for recommendations for edinburgh places um because um yeah, people, oh, we're all able to travel again, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, a lot of people have been sliding into my DMs with uh, asking for for Edinburgh-based recommendations, beer recommendations. It doesn't have to be just about sexism and discrimination. It can be about anything. I'm always up for a chat. Um, and if anyone, any listening is ever in Edinburgh, hit me up and we'll go for a beer. I'll take you around all the cool spots. Amazing. I'll, I'll definitely take you up on that when I'm up there. Um, thank you so much for for inviting us on um it's been it's been really nice um as we were saying before to just keep keep the momentum going keep the conversation going and i'm really pleased to to have been invited on to such a good podcast oh thank you you're more than welcome well it's that time again at the bar for another week of the hot four podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show on itunes spotify and all other good platforms Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.